us on patreon.com forward slash strange bedfellows. You will have to enter that in because the fact that we are adult content means that we have agreed to make ourselves unsearchable on their website. My name is Elle and I'm a sex educator. My name is Jen and I'm a private investigator. We want to learn more about ourselves. I'm like the boring vanilla one over here that's like, I don't do anything, but I'm, cu- I'm curious. And the fact that we're both sex workers means that we have insight into things taboo. Trigger warning, if you're easily upset by this stuff, maybe take a break. I have a feeling this is going to be weird. Sex and politics make for some very strange bedfellows. Welcome back to Strange Bedfellows. It's Jen and I here today. Uh, we're going to talk about bullying. Jen, you were saying you'd been a cunt before. <laughs> yeah, I've definitely been on both sides of the bullying equation. I have been bullied throughout my entire life to varying degrees, and I've also um, been a bully myself. And what were be- you talking about your hair? Your grandma cut all your hair off. Okay, so when I was in second grade, um, I made the switch um, from private school to public school. Um, my dad had lost his job. Um, I don't know. We lived in this, <laughs> we lived in this like shitty neighborhood surrounded by like really, really nice houses and nice neighborhoods. You guys were poor. Yeah, we were considerably, I wouldn't say we were dirt poor, but we were considerably poorer than the people that lived around us. And, and they, they never, let you know about yeah, it. Yeah, they never let me forget about it. Um, but so my grandma had gotten, lived with us and she had gotten tired of like brushing my long black hair. And so I got cut Right before the first day of school, it got caught. Did they ask cut you about? Bulk. Did they let you know what they were doing? Did you have any idea? I don't. Rem- I don't think I really cared. You didn't care. Okay, I, I that's good. You know, I was like a tomboy. I didn't really give a shit. I think I was like too young. I was also like I started school mm-hmm. early and like skipped kindergarten, so I was like a lot younger than everybody else hmm. too. So I don't even think I was like old enough to. The only and I just want to bring it up because you know we always talk about consent, but like my kid's six and she's a tomboy too, very much. But like, or you know to whatever degree that exists um and like she won't let me do anything to her hair but she also won't let me cut her hair so i was just wondering because if i suddenly just did it would be very upsetting for her and that's why i'm wondering i don't i don't remember like being upset about that but i rem- just remember it was like just the beginning of like me being pitted against the world like when i would so everyone called me george because i looked like a boy you had boy boy, boy hair, hair and i was hair. just like a scrawny little rat thing dirty rat thing right and um and so it was like a tradition at the beginning of the year the bus driver would go hi george and then all the other kids would go hi george and then like no one would let me sit in the seat with them talk about misgendering yeah right fuck god i wish it had been a different world because i would have fucking embraced it yeah more. no i wish i could have like god really but yeah why not like why the fuck did i have to why does anybody have to like choose yeah like that oh i feel like that all the time but i remember getting on there was this like little blonde shit i'm sure her name was like lauren <laughs> they always like named lauren no I'm offense lauren's no offense lauren. i had some lauren's bully me too I'm lauren um and anyway so one day there was nowhere for me to sit by myself this was like in third grade and <laughs> i had to sit next to her and she goes george you're not sitting with me and i'm like well where am i supposed to go and she'd shove me out of the seat I went fucking ape shit and like wailed on this little bitch and was banned from riding the bus 
for the oh. rest of the year, my grandma had to take me to school and drop me off, which was also embarrassing, which was embarrassing, even though people stopped fucking with me. I tell you what, <laughs> like that's so <laughs> like all of that is so natural and so unnecessary, you know? Yeah. Oh, my God. But it starts so early. And like with that, with the gender roles thing, mm-hmm. you know, like uh, for me, I was trying to think how, you know, when I'm drawing together thoughts for what are we going to talk about? And I, I was like bullying. We get asked about bullying a lot from fellow sex workers, um, you know, like bullying in the dressing room, bullying on the club floor, bullying on the review boards, competition for customers on the review boards, campsites, um, Facebook, Instagram. I see girls photos shooting with like one photographer and then other girls fighting about, you know, like petty shit. Like the job itself is hard, but the bullying is so entrenched because it begins so early um for mine I I think I told you I was in like first I was like the same age first grade it was definitely before third grade because I remember what playground I was on and it was other kids around me like backed me into a corner and asked me if I believed in God and I said no because my parents didn't so I didn't um I still don't obviously their parents did because they started telling me I was a bad person I was going to hell and I was like oh my god what the fuck God, I'm so lucky. You know what? I think it was almost good for me because by the time what what was became, good for you? It was almost good for me to get bullied because by the time oh, by no. fifth grade, when people were talking about like it was a really church, it was in the south, so everything everyone went to the Baptist church, but us we were Catholics, and my dad was an atheist. Basically, oh, you said so you guys were Italian, and you were picked yeah, on for we that were Italian. Too. Yeah, so I like I was really by the time that, that that sort of thing started to come up, like why don't you go to church group and why aren't in you worship satan i didn't get like Mm -hmm. i was already like i had already come to this realization somehow that these people were pieces of shit and if (laughs) they didn't like me then i then that was a good thing like it was lonely and hard because Mm -hmm. i wanted out of there so fucking bad Mm -hmm. but i realized somewhere in me that these people were fucking awful Mm -hmm. and like good and like and i was got really really nasty so like People tended to not fuck with me too much because I would like knock your lunch table over. I oh, dump wow. your lunch. Yeah, I was like a like I had some issues. Well, um, yeah, but that was like that was a survival, especially in like high school. Like I throw my backpack down and like shove you. <laughs> like <laughs> so. So do you feel like? I mean, obviously, there's all kinds of input things. Like you know, I don't know what stuff was like at home, and we can talk about that later. But. Um, but so people are complicated and we see kids expressing their frustration, um, with themselves in these ways throughout their lives. And we see adults expressing their frustration with themselves and by themselves, I mean, I feel insecure. So I'm going to pick on everyone around me. Oh, absolutely. (laughs) And this is a constant. Um, so what you said earlier, your child and you realize like these people aren't my friends. They're not good to me. Um, let's talk about some like some adult bullying shit that we've seen oh my god oh my god dressing room so there's a book that i have thumbed through actually one of my regulars who had witnessed some of this and watched me cry about it um i was ostracized pretty hard for a few years um by a group of other sex workers other femme cis white sex workers who now i'm like okay i think they saw me as like competition um because they just tried to get me taken 
down from any shift. They wrote my editors, like my writing editors, with false allegations. One of them, when I asked her, why are you doing this to me? She went and promptly told security that I had physically assaulted her in the dressing room. Um, Like stuff like that. So character assassination. (laughs) I'm reading in this book, Odd Girl Out by Rachel Simmons, uh, which is written for parents of teenagers, quite honestly, Mm -hmm. um, and teenagers. Uh, But so much of it is applicable where it's like there's something about women culture and I'm not saying men don't do it too. They absolutely do. But when we talk about how women express aggression uh, with each other, it tends to be a lot of like social warfare, character assassination. Like I heard she did this, you know, she's a bad person because I heard she did this. Um, I mean, it's always like competition over resources, right? Yeah. You know, I mean, Absolutely. that's even in the club, it's the same way. You know, whenever I've bullied people and been fucking horrible to somebody, it's been because deep down in there, whether I would really admit it to myself or not, it was because I was afraid this person would take my regular or take my shifts. Like, yeah, it's it's really interesting how it happens. So I also had uh, a coworker start doing something uh, where I think that they must have felt. OK, so look. In the club where I work, I tend to make more than most people around me on a typical shift because, number one, I've been there for 10 years. (laughs) Like, I have accumulated regulars. Number two, I have a wide reach, so more people just, you know, I have advertising. So I don't always make the most money, nor should I, but it makes sense that I have the most people come in to see me. And that makes some people very, very angry. And I had one girl say once, I should be able to make as much money as L. It's not fair that you make business cards and I don't. And I said, well, what? make some business cards then. She's yeah. like, well, I shouldn't have to do that. So she saw my success as a threat to hers. That's like insane. And she said oh, it in the most. That's insane. <laughs> that, and I still think back. It's almost I'm like, like a troll. I'm like, are you a troll? She is was very a much trolling? a troll. Like, yeah. is that, <laughs> that's insane. So. When you, if you work and I, in the I should just have that salary without having that job. Yeah. And I've heard that, <laughs> and I've heard that before. Um, so it's really, really oh interesting when, when you work in these spaces, what I want you to, what, what I want you to hear if you're listening, uh, ladies, women, people, whoever, don't for a second think that anything you do will make these people happy in the long run. Uh, so we're going to try to, I guess, talk about some ways to work through it. Uh, we'll get to that later with some questions. Um, <laughs> do you have any crazy? I know you do. You worked in a wild club. When I started, I I would hear whispers of when I started at the strip club, I would hear whispers of uh, like the worst, the worst bullying stories, like girls cutting other girls uh, phone chargers you know, like cutting their phone charges like so they couldn't plug their and phone. Or pissing in the dance bag. Pissing um, in the pe- dance bag. Tuna in the to, dance bag. I used to have to fish like my perfume out and like just makeup and shit out of the trash can <gasps> every shift. Really? Someone was throwing your makeup in the yeah, trash can? Yeah, people, they thought it was really funny. I'd freak out about it. I'd be like, because where's my stuff, you yeah. know? And then I'd have to go get the bouncer. Ugh. Um so with the fucking flashlight to dig through the fucking dirty tampons and all the shit in the trash can in the back to find my body spray or like Ugh. whatever. But let's but, compare stories. Yeah, fuck, but I had I up. had all the faces and the eyes scratched out or torn off of the ads that I was in in the dressing room in my club because we'd collected them for years. One day, a girl just 
went for it on oh, me. Someone did, girls do stuff like that in my club too. And it's actually really like hurt. No, it's feelings. Sad. Like one girl, it was like, that's the only copy of that ad. That exactly. I, had. I know. And I was like, there's women in those ads that I was with that are like from eight or nine, 10 years ago. I'll never see again. Like that wasn't just f- for me. <laughs> and it also tears down the morale. It really bummed out a lot of people. And the interesting thing was I didn't notice it at first. Um, I also have had coworkers approach my regulars and say, like, I'm having a really hard time right now. And like, my life is just falling apart and do the like pity thing to where the, the my regular would be like, you know, I think I'm going to spend some time with so and so because they're just having a really rough time right now. And I'm like, thinking like, they're always having a rough time right now. They're making it rough for everyone. Right. <laughs> but uh, that's, yeah, th- I tell you the worst thing, the worst shitty thing, please don't do this. No matter how much you fucking hate your coworker or whatever, think you deserve more than them. Do not talk shit about dancers to customers. Mm-hmm. Do not do it. That is the worst thing you can do for one. Or it makes you clients. makes you look ugly. It makes you look ugly as fuck. But that's just a no no. Mm-hmm. Like that is like the cardinal worst thing. Like I'll ignore most shit. Don't out them. Don't out them. As gay or married or parents even. Anything. Don't do that. But certainly don't don't sit at the bar talking shit about somebody. Boy, that's a good way for, to get me to come off stage and knock your drink in your Oh my lap. God. Like, Let's see you reverting okay. to your old aggro self. <laughs> I'm like, no. But, but that's not. Yeah. But no we can't bueno. even. But we can't function that way. So we'll talk about more ways for coping with that later. Um how's your sex life (laughs) oh um (laughs) oh on a lighter note (laughs) on a lighter note it's pretty good did you have you had any anal okay fun times (laughs) so we tried you tried Um, you tried some butt stuff yeah we tried some butt stuff here's the problem I can't believe I'm gonna like talk about this on a podcast so we decided like I was like (laughs) really worried that like I was going to shit on him or something. Yeah, that's so a legitimate that, fear. That's a worry, right? So we got some enemas so to make to clean it out to make sure that doesn't happen. Good. Well, not as much water came back out as came back in. Like I guess it like took a while for it to work. So I just felt like Oh my god. Not leaky and full of water. Yeah, and just oh my like god. Con- ugh, I don't know. So I, I was not really feeling like sexy with the ass stuff. Oh, okay. So. And I got to be honest, I really don't think I like it. I don't really like having a couple of fingers up there. It doesn't, it's like the thought of it I like, and it seems dirty in the moment, but it just doesn't really feel that good to me. Like, I don't know. Okay. Well, you know what? There's plenty of time for you to come <laughs> around and there's plenty of time for you to never have to. So That's true. There's... I mean, maybe if I'm like really drunk or something, I'll be no, like, no, oh, yeah, no, 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 <laughs> that's the opposite of the ways we want to go. The goal is to be able to be relaxed enough to feel comfortable in your desires. And if you don't desire it, that's okay. Uh, There also could be just a lot of still like fear around your butt because again, poop comes out of there and it hurts sometimes (laughs) when you get stuff shoved in there. Right. I mean, he's, he's like, strangely, he's like very like kind of cavalier about it. He was just like, look, if you're going to do ass stuff, there's a possibility. He's like, it wouldn't be the first time. No, that's great. That's I got shit be. on my dick or whatever. Like, you know, this, yeah. it, it's what happens. Like he's way less uptight about it 
than I am mm-hmm. who I can't even shit if someone's in the house with me I'm like oh god you know like I'm like super super uptight are so. you a really good quiet pooper though I'm such a good quiet pooper well not if I'm home alone I'm like oh no I'm kidding <laughs> okay here's the <laughs> other kidding, thing I'm kidding okay um, but before we go away from that everyone you shouldn't have to strain to poo like unless you have a painkiller addiction but so you know that urge when you're like oh I have to go so well, I go, always try to go immediately. Yeah, go immediately yeah. because that little sensor warning signal stops working if you tend to ignore it all the time. Mm. And then it's not activating to like release your poop. So that's why you're straining. Because <laughs> it's like, no, I was ready earlier. You turned me off. <laughs> but sometimes I don't know. I mean, if there's but if there's somebody around or it's like, OK, I can't shit in a public bathroom that has like stall like other stalls. If there's people in there, it doesn't matter how bad I have to go. Really? It won't come out. Wow. Like it won't come out. It's like I freeze even though I'm like, oh, my God, I have to shit so bad. Will you just please just happen? I know you want to come out. Like were you ever bullied out. like for any pooping stuff? Did anyone ever have like did you have a traumatic bathroom incident? Did no, someone like kick down the door? And- no, but I'll tell you a really weird thing okay um is that one of the ways that i was punished as a kid was to have my privacy taken away Ooh, yeah Ooh, yeah that was my punishment i would get my door taken off the hinges all the doors taken off the hinges interesting all the doors what do you mean by all the doors bathroom door bedroom door no who instituted that that was my dad oof yikes yeah, and he didn't think because that I didn't through. respond to a lot of stuff. Like mm. you can, it was very hard to threaten me with anything because I just did what I want. But my privacy, I was like very private. Mm. Um, oh yeah, okay, good to know. Yeah, that's not so, something in my repertoire. I'm yeah, gonna, I don't, don't I love do that. my dad and like my dad Mountwell, but you know he didn't really have any help raising me, and he didn't really know how to raise a kid and. That's why yeah, they, we say we do the best we can. Now I'm a very, can. very private person. I feel like very uncomfortable if my bedroom door is open. Like I have to have doors closed. Oh yeah, because you associate with alone. a punishment. Like, yeah, it's <sighs> weird. Ooh. But I'm sure that has something to do with it somehow. I'm always like yeah. terrified of like getting caught doing something. So gosh okay yeah that's a good one and it recently came up and i'm like wow i've never really thought about this like that is that could be kind of groundbreaking that's really interesting (laughs) that's fucking weird huh yeah so any any parents listening or any to be parents listening maybe don't do that yeah (laughs) attention service and sex industry workers seeking space yoga is dedicated to providing a holistic option for after your shift with new 3 a.m and 4 a.m class times Seeking Space is rooted in empathy, and they've combined creative flows and experienced teachers to provide a safe, inviting space for any and all wishing to find peace on the mat. Need a little motivation? They are offering 10% off on all memberships and packages for those in the industry. Visit SeekingSpaceYoga.com or download the Seeking Space Yoga app for more information and a full list of class times. If you're looking to jazz up a jacket, bag, or just your fine self, our friends at Gimme Flare have everything you could possibly need. Gimme Flare is the largest online retailer of pins and patches that range from the cute and sweet to the snarky and slutty. They are sex positive, queer friendly, and aim to crush mental health stigma, all with fun flair from around the globe. Check out gimmeflare.com to browse items from over 250 plus artists. Strange Bedfellows is also brought to you by Black Bulb Podcast. 
If you've ever wondered about the deeper meaning behind some of today's art, why not hear from the artists themselves? Your hosts, Alex and Ben, collect influential artists of the West Coast to discover how they seek inspiration, how they handle mental health, and how to make a living as an artist in today's digital world. All discussed on Black Bulb Podcast. That's black like the color and bulb like a light bulb. Strange Bedfellows is sponsored in part by Comic Strip. This original Funhouse Lounge show is still the hottest ticket in town. Four of the best local and traveling comics take the stage and tell their jokes. And each time the strip master rings the bell, the comic must remove an article of clothing to continue their set. It's barely funny. Hosted by the talented, hot mess that is Chris Etrick. Comic Strip is every last Friday of every month at Funhouse Lounge, located in sexy Portland, Oregon. Visit purplepass.com slash comic strip for discounted pre-sale tickets. The show is 21 plus and follow them on Instagram at comic strip PDX. Welcome back. Let's do some book roulette. Let's do some book roulette talking about self-help because that's what we're all fucking about here. <laughs> um, follow us on Instagram, strange bedfellows PDX. If I'm still on Instagram, follow me stripper writer <laughs> or L uh i think it's a underscore stanger s-t-a-n-g-e-r oh my god i went on a date with this lady a couple weeks ago and it was so cute i don't think she's ever going to hear this but uh even if she does it's not a big deal she says so is your last name really stranger and i'm like oh god l stranger l stranger i get that a lot though there's people listening who think my name is ellie stranger and i know that because i'll have them greet me say hi ellie i love your show oh so thanks guys it's l stanger anyway um enough about me so pick let's see one through four um four so what you really really want the smart girls shame-free guide to sex and safety by Jacqueline Friedman so interesting so this book and another one called asking for it which both asking for it is very much about rape culture but when I posted this one and that one on Instagram there were like dudes that got really pissed really really pissed just at like the titles of the books oh my goodness don't they though i know this was a few years ago but i still <laughs> baby you're so cute when you're angry <laughs> oh. Oh. all right let's see let's talk about sex baby so i'm on i'm on page 205 telling your partners what turns you on can be terrifying if you haven't done it much before it can feel incredibly vulnerable what if they laugh at me what if they're disgusted what if they turn me down even before that, it requires you to admit aloud that you have desires, and not just generally desire, which can be challenging enough, depending on your background, but specific personal sexual desires, ones that someone else should care about. Yeesh. Can you think of anything you've ever been afraid to ask for in sex? I really like my... Okay, I, I feel like weird guilt about my toes being like licked or sucked on, because I'm a germaphobe, so I'm like, oh, my feet are dirty. Some people work barefoot all the time. If you work in like a garage like a mechanic and you get grease under your fingernails, like that's understandable. Most people don't work barefoot. So like have some basic like scrub your right. feet before you get in the bed. You know what I mean? Um, women's feet, I am like women fem and femme feet. I feel like I'm more critical of and that's unfair because culture is more critical of women and femmes anyway. 
you know what I mean? But like myself, I look at my feet and I'm like, ugh. I yeah. have really ugly feet, though. Do you? No, you... years of dancing, yeah. yeah. De- those shoes have deformed my feet over time. <laughs> like, my toes are just toes, in a shape your that toes they should are not a little, be. Well, they kind of start to bend, but yeah. they're still cute. Anyway, yeah. give me your old shoes. I'll take your old shoes. Okay, deal. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's see. Pick another. One through three. Um, two. Come As You Are, The Surprising New Science That Will Transform Your Sex Life by Emily Nagoski, PhD. People are like, oh, you've talked about this book before. So this book was a big one about arousal non-concordance. So feeling maybe arousal and your body not responding physically or physically or physically reacting, but feeling like no emotional arousal at all or even feeling turned off. Huh. Yeah. Oh, totally. We've talked about this before. So it's like when when people have been hung at the gallows, sometimes they get erections and they don't know if that's like an adrenaline thing or a blood pressure thing. Mm. Um, When women or people with vaginas feel like they might be raped, sometimes they lubricate. Right. You know, and it's it could be a fear response. It's not an arousal response necessarily, but it looks like an arousal reaction. So. Let's see. In terms of managing sexual desire in your relationship, the key is to differentiate between the desire and your feelings about the desire. So another useful skill in managing your little monitor is to work with the natural prioritization of different goals. There are all kinds of novelty and ambiguity to investigate in the world, and the monitor has only a limited amount of attention So she has to prioritize what domains of life to pay attention to, and these domains rank themselves in order of life importance. Sexual arousal draws the monitor's focus towards sex, prioritizes sex, only when there aren't other, more important things for her to concentrate on, such as survival. So people that are stressed about their survival are going to have a way harder time feeling spontaneously aroused. Does that make sense? It does make sense. <laughs> it does make sense. So you have working, parenting, um, maybe uncomfortably partnered people who feel like the stress of capitalism. And they're like, why can't I have an orgasm? Because you're fully clenched in your brain. Right. <laughs> so. And your list of bills is like back there when you're <sighs> trying to have sexy time in your. <sighs> I had to get my tire fixed twice this month. And uh it was actually, but the first time they said I ran over a nail and the second time they said I ran over a screw, but it was in the same tire both times. So I remember having sex the other night and thinking like, I had this intrusive thought where it's like, somebody's sabotaging your car. And I was like, no, not the time. Put it away. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I did end up having um, some waves of peak arousal, but only because I successfully was like, I identify this, put it away now or the sex is going to be less good for the rest of it. Um, so we have two left. This one is the power of habit. Why we do what we do in life and business by Charles Duhigg. Um, this was a really good one. I read a couple years ago. This one's pretty cool. It explains why a lot of times when you try to make new habits, like losing weight or saving money, they don't work. Um, because what people do is they suppress, suppress, suppress and say, instead of just cutting back, I'm going to go cold Turkey on Starbucks. And then so you've repressed the desire and your brain goes into overload. So it makes sense that people crack on their binge diets after like a week or two because it's not sustainable. 
Studies of people who have successfully started new exercise routines, for instance, show they are more likely to stick with a workout plan if they choose a specific cue, such as running as soon as they get home from work, and a clear reward, such as a beer or an evening of guilt-free television. Research on dieting says creating new food habits requires a predetermined cue, such as planning menus in advance and simple rewards for dieters when they stick to their intentions. So how could we apply this to your sex life? I have no idea because mine is so inconsistent right now because my lover lives out of the country. <laughs> so I'm going to defer to you. On um, so in terms of getting into a new habit, um, I would think well, like what kind of habit are we talking so, about? With okay. Sex? Like here's maybe for people that aren't having it in their, you know, like if you've been in a okay. relationship for a while and you're maybe not doing it so much. So like, talking about cues and rewards, um, when I wake up almost every morning, I turn, I roll over to the left and I dig under my bed and I knock some cords out of the way. And maybe I say, excuse me, poodle. And I find my, <laughs> my wand vibrator and I kind of giggle because I think, ha <laughs> It's that time again, and I stick it on my mom's pubis, and I just, I just vibrate. I just hold there, like on my on my fetal left side position, and I'm not always fantasizing or masturbating, but like I wake up sometimes and I feel the stress of the day hit me that I start to have a wave of anxiety, and I know that my vibrator is such a cue for relaxation. I just go to it. Okay. So my cue to get up and start my day is to roll over and vibrate until I and do some deep breathing until I feel relaxed enough. And then my reward is basically, um, I know that I'll just feel better. <laughs> um, but it's like a really reliable way for me to start the day. If I wake up and I don't need to do that, I don't need to do that. But like, I know if I'm having a bad day, then that's something I can go to because I so consistently use my vibrator like all the other time. But so say that you're someone who isn't aware of this and you just stick it on there and zone out and start thinking about bills and family and stress. You are priming your body to think about bills and family and stress mm. when you use that vibrator. You know that what I mean? Sense. So when I'm laying there with my vibrator, I'm, I'm not necessarily like, cool, I'm jacking off, but I'm like, it's time for me to get in this nice, happy comfort zone. This is how I queue up for that. So when people are like, can you become addicted to masturbation? It's really hard for me to come, but I, but I'm like constantly trying it's like, well, you need to maybe take a slight break. Don't stop altogether because, again, that's like repressive and that'll frustrate people. But maybe just think about like how you're setting yourself up for arousal. You know, like is the TV on and you can hear kids screaming like we've talked about this with people. It can be hard to get in that zone. Yeah, for me, even during sex, sometimes I feel kind of like it's kind of hard to like ask for this sometimes. Um but sometimes like in order for me to come, I have to, I can't really be doing anything. I just have to like lay there and like let it happen mm. and kind of concentrate on it. Mm. And I worry sometimes with my partners that they're like, why have you stopped blowing me? Or why have you stopped jerking me off? And I'm like, but I don't want you to stop because I'm really close to coming. But if I keep doing all of those things, it like, it's like it won't happen. So this is something you know? that you should definitely tell him. You should definitely, just like you told me, be like, you know, I sometimes worry when we're having sex because I, I feel like in order to come or really enjoy it, I have to kind of just stop moving. I don't ever want you to think I don't like it. So 
And this is a jumping off point for you to be like, when I go into that space, that's what's happening. Right. And usually it's just like the first time. Usually I come multiple times, but usually it's like the first time. Yeah. Not like in a, not like immediately in a row but usually like if we do it long enough i'll get a good two or three you'll get some rolling yeah out of it but the first one i know it's going to sound stupid but the first one's always the hardest that doesn't it's sound always stupid. the hardest that to d- like get there that doesn't sound stupid but because then once i'm there it's easier to like do it again and again and this again, is why i told you if you want to have a better go at anal sex you should have some orgasms first because you've primed the area it's already come <laughs> right the blood is there you're you're in the zone this book came out in 2010, but it's still good. I would say the only things that have changed would be like online worries that we have to contend with, but there's still really good sections on like marketing, which includes online. Uh, so just keep that into account. It's, it's such a great tool. Um, let's see, investing in yourself and your business. Successful entrepreneurs plow a portion of their earnings back into their business. Growth requires balancing constancy with experimentation. How else can we... Why can I not read? Our business is pleasure, so remember to have fun. Set aside funds to invest in clothes, shoes, toys, gear, and household supplies. Decorating your work environment. Ooh, you know what? I'm sorry. I want to see if they actually have a section on bullying in here because I think they do. Uh, Da-da-da-da-da. 57. Okay. And so this is page 57. An open letter to my fellow sex workers. Shame, fear, and the erotics of discretion. Visibility, vulnerability, and shame are so snarled up together in sex work. I want to say a few words before we dive into coming out and being outed. Let's start by acknowledging that some of us are called to do sex work and some of us are called to do it out loud. I have so much love and admiration for those brazen hussies who live with their lives wide open, willing to say to the world, whatever you think of me, I'm not hiding to make you comfortable. In the same way, coming out puts names and faces to the LGBTQ community. Sex workers who publicly share their personal stories humanize an industry warped by both fantasy and demonization. For sex workers to lose its stigma, the general public needs to understand that sex work can be chosen freely. And yet, at the same time, I don't believe all of us were born to march in the streets. Um, she goes on to talk about the benefits, the pros and cons to either discretion or coming out. Uh, that book is actually a really, really useful tool. I recommend it. So that is Thriving in Sex Work by Lola Davina. Let's do some listener questions i've been working as a stripper for three years now and the slow season hit really hard this year i started to engage in full service work to afford my unexpected move my strip club co-workers have always talked shit about full service workers and i've always done my best to shut it down It's become harder recently since I feel like they're talking about me and I feel increasingly isolated. What can I do? I love dancing and I don't want to quit. And I also love my full service work. So remember what you were saying earlier, Jen, when you realized like these people are not your friends? Yeah. So first of all, like you have to understand like it does not matter what they think. It does not matter what they think. And also shame on them for (laughs) contributing to horophobia. 
yeah, but as sex workers. You're first, you have to respond. You have a responsibility to pay your bills, you know, in whatever way you can handle it. And you have a responsibility to make yourself happy. And if you're, if you love doing full service work and you love dancing, like do mm-hmm. both. Like that's what matters. Mm-hmm. And also keep a roof over your head because mm-hmm. that matters too. Mm-hmm. Um, These bitches are not paying your rent. Yeah, you they're know? not. And they're also <laughs> probably really upset because they're struggling too. So again, it comes back to that insecurity. They see you as a threat. Like, well, it's not fair that you can do full service when I'm afraid of it and think it's gross and secretly jealous. You know what I mean? Right. Like, you know, I, I will say as a caveat, I mean, I, I assume that you're doing full service work. Not out, in the club. Out, yeah. Outside of the club, you yeah. know, I, if, where, where it's of no threat to them. It's exactly. of no threat to them. And they're just being like petty fucking haters that want to like blame their own financial problems on anyone else. Yeah. You know, other than themselves or maybe the economic situation that we all find ourselves in mm-hmm. right now so this odd girl out book says we have to learn to recognize aggression as a healthy part of our relationships and lives something that makes us stronger and more honest individuals so it fucking sucks you're getting picked on because i've been there i've been there on the bus i've been there in junior high i've been there in high school i've been there at my first job i've been there at my second job and all my jobs and this job um I'm finally at a place now where I feel like I'm old enough and secure enough that I don't get bullied, but I still watch it happen. And I'm not immune from people, you know, coming after me in other social function like ways um, outside of the club. So number one, uh, it says get help in this book. You want to try to talk to somebody about this. I don't expect anyone at your club to give a shit because... The management, it's not their really their responsibility to micromanage the relationships of the girls. I agree a lot of clubs take such a hands-off approach. It's pretty bad. Like they could set some bare rules for conduct. Like no talking negatively to your customers in front of, or to your coworkers. Like just avo- just something. Yeah, but they I mean at the same time too, anytime you have rules around it, there's gonna be them people snitching out over everything, being like, Well, she did that, you know. Yeah. Okay, well, the, I mean, you talk know, to somebody if you talk can. Talk to somebody. And somebody. St- you know what? Like, you just, as a motivator, to stay the fuck out of the dressing room. Do you know what they're doing back there when they're talking shit about you? Not making Not money. being on the floor, making money. Yeah. And you're going to be the one with the smile on your face, like, working the room and, like, talking to customers and concentrating on their good time, mm-hmm. which will make them mm-hmm. spit out dividends to you. <laughs> Uh, number two from Odd Girl Out, she says, if you're miserable because you're trying to get popular or it's your friend who's doing this to you, give up. If you think that being popular is going to make you happy, you're wrong. <laughs> Agreed. Uh, it says, get it out. So get a journal or a diary and write about your feelings or punch a bag, write a song. Um, you can use this aggression to get creative or go to the gym. I don't know. I like the gym. I like the gym part. I yeah. mean, it does punch no. something punch something it does make you feel better <laughs> and you just get hotter you just get and make more money <laughs> you get hotter and healthier and make more money so number four oh. on that note says do something join the newspaper take a workshop join a team take an art class get try not life. to curl into a ball under your blanket or not a, not every day and then the last point is it will end it will end because those bitches will end up 
going somewhere else to work or they'll pick on someone else or there's some new some new girl is going to come in that's going to all of a sudden be the focus of all their hate right like it unfortunately it will end but it also is never ending because this is an issue we have in society that is reinforced by all of these ideals um and like class and race and beauty issues that we have because you and me are talking about being picked on for having scraggly clothes being poor you know um and I'm like, you have blue eyes and like fair skin. Can you imagine how much worse it would have been if you were like so oh, many I mean, other things? I can't even, Ugh. I can't even imagine like there, there weren't, um, it, yeah, I, I just can't even imagine how awful that must have been for any, for like a person of color dealing with these little shits. I mean, <laughs> yeah, the Children South are the worst. is, uh. Children are the worst. Um, I recently discovered that my sex partner has herpes, both HSV-1 and HSV-2. I tested negative for both after a recent panel. His status was a surprise, and he says he's never had an outbreak of any type, so never had a sore on genitals or lips. Okay. This launched a ton of research on the virus and what it means to be in a discordant sexual relationship, but there's a lot of conflicting information out there, even between reputable sources and sex educators. We plan to continue using condoms for penis and vagina anal sex and watch for any outbreaks. But I have read that people who have herpes, quote, shouldn't give or receive oral sex, which could be devastating because we're both very good at it. Yeah, we're both very good at it. While I know HSV is very common and ultimately more stigma than a big deal, it is something I'd still prefer to avoid contracting. So I had tea with my first ex-husband last night. (laughs) And I was born with HSV-1. I inherited it from my parents. They've always had cold sores. Um, My child is six. She had her first cold sore last week. I know. I was like, baby's first herpes. Um, She'll have these throughout her life. So I had tea with my ex-husband last night. And I asked him, I said, have you ever had a cold sore still? Because we were sharing tea. He's like, you want to sip? Sure. We're buds. Um. And he says, no, I've still never had one. He says, I guess I just don't have it. I said, it's not that you don't have it. Some people never have outbreaks. Right. Many people never have outbreaks. Um, So you can, this is one of those things where no, you can't get herpes from a toilet seat. Yes, you can get it from sharing a glass. Um, Yeah, I think I've heard that. If you have an open sore. Um. I'm not a scientist. I, okay, look, with HIV, they said you are not likely to get it from deep kissing because usually there's not blood, like that much blood. If you deep kiss for long enough, there is little blood particles floating around. So in theory, you can get HIV from kissing someone. Um, You can get herpes from kissing someone without a sore, probably, but all I know is I've had partners that I've had bareback sex with for a couple years and made out with pretty hard who've never had a sore. Um, or you could use condoms, not give blowjobs, barely kiss on the mouth, and one of you might contract it anyway. So it's very much a gray area. <laughs> um, you look like you have a question, Jen. Well, okay, so don't they now, I'm pretty sure that don't they now have like medication that you can take that like kind of suppresses it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally. So, I mean, so I was under the impression that you weren't that contagious unless you were having an outbreak or like the couple days like leading up to it, which 
I hear it usually people can tell that that's going to happen because you get like sick or get tingly or something like that. <laughs> so it's feeling like the flu when the sores are present. Right. So maybe like says you, the CDC, maybe your partner just needs to like monitor or you need to like whoever it is that is having. Oh, OK, so your your partner has he has, has both. He has both, but he's never had an outbreak. But, yeah. And he's never had an outbreak. Okay. She tested negative. Your test could, this is where it gets even more fun. Your test could be wrong. Depending on how long you guys have been together, you could test positive for it later. It might just not be showing up because things can take months for, you know, like levels to be high enough to appear. Um, have y'all already been doing it for a while? I mean, fucking A, then maybe you've already. <laughs> so it you know, comes down to like, to it. like, it's, it's a priorities thing. Like, how how much are you afraid of having a, a couple sores on your face or your genitals maybe a couple times a year um so sores that come back several times oh wait i'm sorry i'm just going to read this from the cdc genital herpes often doesn't cause any symptoms if you do have symptoms you might notice painful blisters or sores on or around the genitals or anus these sores typically heal within two to four weeks um, i've never had those um i don't know I've never tested positive for HSV2. I'm not saying is I, that the one that's mm-hmm. the genital herpes mm-hmm, or whatever. Mm-hmm. But having a sore on your mouth and then giving oral sex or kissing someone, you can transmit it either way. That way. Okay. So. So you can get HSV1 mm-hmm, on your genitals mm-hmm, too. Mm-hmm, okay. Mm-hmm. So basically, and rule vice of thumb. Versa. Yeah, rule okay. of thumb is don't touch an open sore, <laughs> no matter where it is. Um, so it can be an issue if like a pregnant person is having an outbreak while they're in active labor because it's like open sores, contact with the baby. Yeah, can, I think it can make your kid go blind, right? Worst case scenario, herpes in the eyeballs makes the kid go blind. That would be a very rare and probably pretty bad outbreak situation. Um, so but when that happens, if you're having an active outbreak, they'll do a C-section. Um Men and women can expect to have several outbreaks, usually four or five a year. Over time, you can have, you can expect to have fewer outbreaks. That is typically if you contract it and you have your first, you know, you might have like a bunch, bam, bam, bam. Uh, (laughs) Knowing that you have genital herpes may make you feel worried or sad. Talk with a doctor about your concerns. Um, so it just says in here, avoid having sex with an uninfected partner when you had, have visible sores or other symptoms. Be aware that even if you don't have symptoms, you can still infect your partner. Some medicines can prevent the blisters or make them go away faster. If you have several outbreaks a year, you can take a daily suppressive therapy, which will reduce your chance of passing it to your partners. So yeah, the surest way is to just not have any kind of skin contact rubbing, body fluid sharing at all. And that's kind of a boring way to fuck. So do what you want to do with all of that information. I personally, as someone who has HSV-1, um, I just don't touch body parts when there's a sore. And I also tell my partners I have HSV-1. There you go. So you might get it. Um, My ex-husband didn't. (laughs) I don't know if my second, I should ask my second ex-husband too. You know, have you ever had a cold sore? Because I still don't know. Yeah, I've never had a cold sore or any kind of sore. Hmm. I've been knockwood. Knockwood. Very, very lucky. Because I've also never been tested to see if I carry it or or whatever. Like, I don't know. I mean, I guess I never had a sore, so I never saw the 
mm-hmm. point in doing that. Exactly. So yeah, because what if they told you, oh, you tested positive? And then I would, would that probably, change anything for you? I don't know. I mean, then I would be obligated to tell people that's about yeah, it if true. I was going to have unprotected sex with them. True. Yeah, so. and that's a good motivation for some people to get tested. Like me, if I know that I'm like going to do non-monog stuff. But as far as with someone else, like, okay, you know what? If it was like a one night stand hookup thing, I mean, honestly, and they told me that they had herpes, mm-hmm. I would be a little a little freaked out about it, honestly. But if it was somebody that was going to be like my partner and that I was like in love with or wanted some sort of long term thing with, I mean, mm-hmm. we'd figure it out, you know, mm-hmm. and Not that's that still a choice deal. that people make, too. That's totally a choice where it could be a one night stand where you're at the bar. You're not leaving from the bar. Hopefully, maybe you've already talked about this. But if you're at the bar and that could be something where you're like, oh, I actually have HSV one. I get cold sores. Have you ever had a cold sore? There or, you, you know, and then that's somebody's like opportunity to or I mean, hey, bar talk. <laughs> I throw it out there. I'm like, I remember I had chlamydia once. You've ever, Have you ever had an STI? <laughs> <laughs> Let's get real. Um, some people actually really like that. It helps them relax and know they can just be honest like right away. Hey, friends, do you get sore muscles or stiff joints like us? How's your skin? Is it dry, itchy, irritated, bruised or sunburned? If so, it sounds like you need some nabalm in your pocket. Nabalm, that's N-A-E-B-A-L-M, is an all-natural skin and body balm handmade right here in Portland. Nabalm products use a base of organic olive oil and beeswax followed by an infusion of therapeutic essential oils, each of which provides all sorts of benefit. Oh yes, and they smell amazing. To learn more, check out nabalm.com or search Nabalm on Facebook or Instagram. Do you have sex questions? Do you want help learning new techniques, communicating with a partner, opening a relationship, or exploring kink? Sex and intimacy coach Stella Harris can help. Visit her office in Portland or connect via Skype to take your intimate life to the next level. Learn more and schedule at www.stellaharris.net or follow her on Instagram at Stella Harris Erotica. Nearly two-thirds of U.S. women use contraception, CDC reports. Duh. <laughs> I mean, of course. So Of course we do. They, the U.S. Centers for Disease Control and Prevention's National Center for Health Statistics, so they spoke with 5,500 respondents from 2015 to 2017. So that's a sample size. Nearly 65% of the women ages 15 to 49 report using some sort of contraception in the month they were interviewed. 15 to 49. Uh, That's a slight increase since the previous report that was measured 2011 to 2015. Okay, wait a second. So they spoke to like 5,000 women, but I would like to really like to know how that was like distributed. Right, right. Because like... Were they white? Were they middle class? Were you in I don't, Utah? Because yeah. I'm sure, or, you know... So here's what, the thing. I don't believe that two-thirds of women in the America between 15 and 49 are using contraception actually, like actively. Um, like a condom counts for sure. Two-thirds is a lot of people Um, I saw a study that said that maybe 30% of sexually active people use contraception regularly. Um, I don't know. I was thinking with the pill and the shot and condoms and all that. I could be totally wrong. I just think, yeah, I'm curious about the study also because I'm like, according to this pool, it might say two thirds of women. 
but I'm I don't I don't use birth control. I use withdrawal. <laughs> Is that do they consider that a form of birth control? Well, I have um I have an IUD. Okay, that's the one that I have a Mirena, and that's the one that I use because it's awesome. I don't have to think about it. Mm-hmm. I just don't think about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, e- the- except for when I think it gets dislodged and it's painful and it sucks. But mm-hmm. that's a story for another time. Um, that's weird though. The study though said that it's skewed towards tubal ligation being the most, that's fucked. That's, that's just fucking wrong. There's no way that that's the most common. They were saying that, where is it? They said the most common contraceptive method reported was female sterilization or tubal ligation. That's where I'm like, uh, uh, no, this study is fucked. Like there's nothing, I'm not like mad at it, but I'm like, that can't be possible. That can't be possible that the, the majority of women. Okay. Obviously you talk to housewives that were the majority of them, like, I don't know, 38 to 49 and it already had all their kids, you know, because most of the people I know that are sexually active aren't like, yeah, I have my tubes tied. What day did you have your tubes tied? I do though. <laughs> that being said, I know, I know a strangely high amount of girls that I work with and friends in my personal life that have had some sort of sterilization procedure done and don't have kids hmm. well this um, that's one's becoming increasingly popular i think you know this day and age it's kind of weird i thought it was really hard to get i thought that it was really hard to get them if you hadn't had kids yet it can be yeah a lot you of know, providers won't do, do it, it if you're under 30 and you haven't had children yet because they think that i mean you, you might, might change, change your mind, mind which fair i've talked to i talked to a man once who was 35 and had had one when he was in his early 20s and he's like i actually kind of regret it but uh he didn't say he regret it but he said that he had had thoughts because it wasn't reversible at that point i feel you i mean i'm 41 and i'm about too old to have kids and even i'm starting to have some thoughts you know right so that's normal (laughs) but this study was wackadoo because it says 18.6 percent of those that they talked to said that they use uh tubal ligation um, and then second was the pill, about 12.6%. I don't think so. So I just, the oh, reason I, that, I would see the pill as being the most common. Yeah, I would too. I would see condoms in the pill as being the most common. Because also people take the pill, not just for sexual contraception. People take the pill to clear up acne and like mood swings and all other kinds of reasons that women take the pill on top of just contraception. So mm-hmm. I would expect that to be higher yeah i guess i just bring this study up because i want people to really really look at what they're reading before they share it Mm. or just believe it um because this study could be so incredibly limiting Uh, oh my god most people have abortions because they worship (laughs) satan and hate babies you mean like that yeah kidding exactly um so we had an actually a wonderful letter sent to us in reference to episode 21 it's a man's world we had talked about the history of mental health experts and quote pioneers uh ignoring the fact that a lot of trauma that is expressed by women is because of sexual assault (laughs) or sexual harassment um so i asked if i could share it and they said yes The topic of last week's episode was the one that is very high on my radar. As someone who's experienced sexual violence since I was eight, I know all too well that the majority of people would like to shut down claims of sexual assault as overreactions, hysteria, or just plain lies. While researching the impact of anti-Semitism on Freud's career in the early 1900s, I stumbled upon another rabbit hole, 
how rape culture was actively perpetuated at that time by the psychoanalytic community. What I found was terrifying. We as a society have barely budged since then. Freud worked with female clients with ailments of the mind and body of varying severity. He found a common thread between them, sexual trauma, usually at the hands of male relatives. Freud and some of his colleagues, including Paul Bernard, believed their patients and wrote about this extremely frequent phenomenon. Many of his patients were the daughters of educated and influential men, which is what motivated other prominent psychologists to shut down this branch of research. Fournier Tardieu. Yeah, I don't know how to, and Toulmouche. I don't <laughs> I don't know how to say the last one. Fournier Tardieu and Toulmouche. I don't know how to say Toulmouche. Total douche. Total douche are some examples. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Of psychologists, at, I love laughing through rape stuff, don't you? Sorry. Doesn't it? No, no, no. It feels, this feels sounds, good. It sounds like he might be a total douche. You Just might saying it. Total douche. Uh, <laughs> are some examples of psychologists at this time who started to write about the, quote, fantasies and lies of children in order to protect the reputations of men like them. Soon after, the connection between the lies of children and the lies of hysterics, women, was established, Wilhelm Fleiss and their... Another psychoanalyst at the time also vocally denounced Freud's conclusions that many psychological disturbances seen in children and women were the result of sexual assault. I went on to read that there is substantial evidence that Fleiss was molesting his son, Robert. Freud's Jewish origin made it extremely difficult for him to get a professor. Freud's Jewish origin made it extremely difficult for him to get a professorship or speak at conferences, so he caved at the request of his colleagues and denounced his theories. He transformed his claims into the ridiculous Oedipus Electra seduction theory that we know today. He did a terrible thing, but if he hadn't, we probably would never be hearing his name. He chose his career and reputation over the truth. This snippet of history is evidence that educated wealthy white men have been gaslighting us for at least a century. <laughs> they were willing to change facts and disregard scientific evidence to further enable their violent sexual desires and protect their fellow predatory colleagues. Women, children, and victims of sexual violence of all gender identities have had to carry the burden of this false reputation that was crafted in a callous and calculated manner. She's Lying is still society's first knee-jerk attempt reaction to any sexual assault accusations. The myth surrounding the prevalence of false rape and child sexual violence accusations is the big hairy hand clamped over our mouths, the deep voice in our mind's ear telling us to shut up. Damn. Beautifully written. If you wonder why the world is the way it is, <laughs> history will tell you. <laughs> we didn't get here for no reason. God, oh, the lengths people will go to to cover up who and what they really are. I you know, know, I know. Uh, um so let's let's do our after show let's talk some more bullying okay some more sketchy stories <laughs> thanks everybody for listening to strange bedfellows thanks for rating or reviewing us on the platforms on which you listen that helps more people find us uh, go to strangebedfellowspdx.com. You can find me at stripperwriter.com. My website is marked as adult, which I always forget. Someone's like, I can't see your website. It's not coming up. I'm like, where are you? And they said, I'm in a gym. I said, yeah, it's probably blocked. <laughs> <laughs> not a single nude on my website, but I am apparently adult content. There you go. Mm -hmm. All right. Until next time.
For more Strange Bedfellows, check us out on patreon.com forward slash strange bedfellows and become a supporter for access to behind the scenes material and extra content. My name is Elle Stanger and you can find me at stripperwriter.com and on Instagram at stripperwriter. And my name is Jen. You can reach me on strangebedfellowspdx.com. 